having a whole culture that has a preconception about what you have to say, which is firmly held by many of them, either positively or negatively, and you're called to go tell them about Jesus, teach them from the a basis of you know the fullness of the truth without forgetting to love them like for the sake of their their own dignity you know like without forgetting that that's a, this is like a steep steep climb that the church hasn't faced before Welcome back to the Joyful Catholic Leaders Show, where you'll hear stories and insights from those who lead with faith. We are back in the studio today and joined by Deacon Kyle Etzel, seminarian and transitional deacon from the Archdiocese of St. Paul and Minneapolis Information right here at the St. Paul Seminary. Deacon, thanks for taking some time out of your busy deacon schedule and joining yes, us today. the busy deacon schedule. I think a lot of the time we think it's really busy because we feel like it should be or it should be justified as busy. Yeah. But it's not too bad. That's good. So good to hear. Happy to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. First things first, we have to talk about the duster on top of your upper lip. Uh, We're recording on November 3rd. This will post probably about a month from now. So Movember will be in the rearview mirror yes, by then. But fortunately tell us about for the, most people, the staff yeah. <laughs> for that, all involved. By that point, uh, I should be back to my beardy self. Yes. What is Movember and why do you celebrate? Well, I don't know if it's really done anymore or observed. I feel like it's just another function of where, you know, men in the church are maybe a, a little behind the pop culture but which is uh, okay sometimes. yeah yeah that's that's yeah very okay most of the time <laughs> but um yeah it's it's as far as it's ever been explained to me it's a way to raise awareness for prostate cancer so that's the ostensible reason there's also just a like a fun like in the house in november we have mustaches yeah and um so i felt like Maybe it would be okay if everybody just kind of forgot that that was a thing and I could be spared the mustachioed self this November, but that was not the case. So everybody you're not walking this journey alone. There's, there's No, no, there's no, there are others. Yeah, if you it. see other seminarians in the course of the month of November, or, or if you have seen in the course of the month of November other seminarians wearing mustaches, we're all suffering for the same reason. Together. Or, you know, you all are suffering together yeah. for the same reason Those of us who have, to <laughs> have to look at it really, so. it's awesome. kind of contentious yeah some people are uh like very excited like they're like oh yeah deacon kyle great mustache and most of the time i'm like uh-huh and they're like yeah, no you, no i really, really like think? it yeah and, and but then you know usually females are like less excited about it so yeah Sounds it's only right. for four weeks yeah this too shall pass. <laughs> right. <laughs> is there um is there uh I know there's dress code obviously. Um but are there guidelines in seminary for clean shavenness, your, your the state of your hair, kind of your 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 appearance from that standpoint? Yeah. Yeah. Uh I think the handbook says something about how long your beard can be. Okay. Um which is not too long. Okay. And I think um formators have the right reserved to tell you to undo what you've done to your facial hair. Um, 
so far so good yeah. <laughs> three days there's yeah there's like hair length requirements too it's not uncommon for a formator to tell a guy like time sure. for a haircut sure you know yeah but and i assume the intent behind that is just you know present well come across yeah. well you're yeah you're yeah, you studying don't want to be somebody who appearance. represents Christ. So yeah, you don't want, yeah, you don't track, want your right? appearance to be an obstacle for anybody. Yeah. So hopefully my mustache isn't that bad. I would not call it an obstacle. Good. Deacon okay. Kyle. So <laughs> you are, my friend, a few months away from uh, God willing priestly ordination. What is, what's on your, your mind in these, these <laughs> days, final days of preparation and on your mind and, and also in your heart as, as ordination yeah. approaches? Um, What's today? Today's the third. That means like six months and 24 days, I think. You think? May 27th. Give or take. Yeah, yeah. end of May. So um, most of the time it's just like equal parts and I mean really truly say like equal parts terror and hmm. joy. So, um, you know, you can kind of – like the terror part is like, oh, I'm focused on all the things that I don't think I do that well um, or all the obligations, uh, implications of being a pastor, even just an associate pastor right after you're ordained. And that's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of busy busyness. You know, you're kind of always booked. Um, lots of stuff that you haven't done before because you can't do it until you're a priest. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but um, then reality sort of or grace sets in and you realize like we have the Institute for Ongoing Clergy Formation. We have the pastor that you'll first be assigned with. We have mentor pastors. You have your spiritual director. You, you know, so there's lots of things like you don't just, they don't just like drop you into a parish and be like, okay, you're on your own for eternity, you know, good luck. Yeah. Um, so that helps dissuade the fear. Um, uh, but mostly, uh, yeah. Um, mostly it's just really exciting. Yeah. You know, um, one to be not in the institution anymore, you know, I mean, you still are, you always are, but to not sort of be waiting to start, but to really be able um, that's probably one of the most exciting things. Really get, like, I know we're always doing the Lord's work, like, even as seminarians, but to, like, really start to, like, put it into gear. Yeah. Not just, you know, do, like, the little kid and, like, with, like, a pillow on the couch pretending you're driving, you <laughs> know, but to actually, like, get in the car and go, yeah. you know, so. Oh, that's a great way to look at it. What's an archdeacon? You are, you are an archdeacon. <laughs> that is your official yes. title um, in yeah, the house. It's like getting around. Like the rector's dinner, I was formally. Yeah, people to. don't know this. We we've hit you up for a lot <clears throat> lately. You spoke at our our rector's dinner, which is our largest annual donor event at the St. Paul Seminary. Yeah. You've been interviewed multiple times. Well, you know, publications we do Catholic spirit. heavy as the head that wears the crown. You're kind of, yeah, you're just all about <laughs> self glossing, self promotion. That's very apparent. No, you've actually been very generous with your time and, and our being today, but yeah, an archdeacon, that's kind of a special title in the, the yeah. community, right? Um, yeah. And, and it's totally just like in-house. It's not 
an official, you know, like bestowed title or something by the archbishop, but like um, you don't sit next to the apostolic nuncio. No, no, no. Town. There used to be a title of archdeacon, and I, I historically I think it was like the guy who took care of the cathedral. Like, oh, interesting. Like there would be canons, you know, like priests who were kind of assigned to the cathedral to do the sacraments, but then there would be a deacon who, like literally had like the key to the door and like interesting he'd light the candles or or you know eventually like turn on the lights or you know like he was like on behalf of the bishop he maintained the property sure or you know um but we don't really have those anymore anywhere in the world yeah and um we never really had them in this country so i guess the archdeacon at the saint paul seminary is just the one who um gets copied on more emails and, <laughs> you uh, get a master key i think I right? do, yeah so that's yeah. kind of like i don't know how much explaining. longer they'll i feel like maybe i blew it for like all archdeacons past by like letting it be known that i have the master <laughs> key i think the point is like there's always somebody at the house that you know if you need to get your mail or whatever yeah they can You're get here you to help. In, but um that's good yeah so it's just like a the head boy yeah yeah. Is that voted on? Is that, is that yeah, selected? Or? <clears throat> typically, yeah, it's synonymous with being like the head prefect of all the, you know, of sure. all the floors. Yeah. And um, and in this case, when we have only three deacons in the house, all it takes is two to obtain a supermajority. Yeah. And um, I found out too late that the others had voted. <laughs> so, so Deacon Will and Deacon Jason – spoke to Father Coop before I got a I, w- I mean I wouldn't have, it's not like I wish I had, I had said no or something but he was like De- Deacon Kyle do you vote for yourself and I was like no and he's like well if you did it'd be a unanimous vote so <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> so it doesn't your matter. vote does not count yeah so at that stage so I was appointed archdeacon by my peers but yeah it's it's good I I love the house and I love you know helping make it a home for for yeah. the guys. I so. mean we kid, but there is yeah. there is a sense yeah. of, of leadership of yeah. this group of men that yeah. are all and doing I, special things to put I think I, like I know I feel like I know a lot of the guys, at least I know everybody's name and you know, I've had some conversations with everybody, so the point is to have like a kind of guy who can represent all the seminarians and sure. Take worries or concerns to the rector or vice versa without having to do like crazy official junk you know how important is that brotherhood piece of of seminary life i think i i really think it's one of the things that makes sps as awesome as it is yeah um i don't obviously haven't been to other seminary or haven't attended uh, other seminarian seminaries as a seminarian but um i know we're kind of coming out of a a period in seminary formation uh, and Father Tapworn talked about this at the rector's rector's dinner um, whenever that was two weeks ago but um, we're kind of coming out of a period of focusing on studying to be a priest highly academic yeah yeah, where you're just kind of at the seminary to learn what you need to learn and you just sort of coincidentally live with a bunch of other people who are doing the same and it's sort of a nice bonus if you have Mm -hmm. some buddies or you know whatever um which i think is good 
I think it answers the needs of like the men of today. Like we're coming from a very isolated society uh, where people live on their phone and uh, in the internet and don't connect well with other people. So you need to have that as a priest. And so I think having a strong sense of fraternity in the house is, is absolutely indispensable. Like maybe even more important than almost any other, you know, attribute you might give to just to the living situation anyway, you know, sure. I, 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 yeah, I certainly wouldn't have made it this far if it wasn't for Hmm. the, the state of the fraternity in the seminary that I came into, you know, when I, uh, when I came to SPS, it was already really on the rise and Father Taphorn's really doubled down on it. And, um, some of the human formation folks have really emphasized it and given us room to build it too. I think it could easily be the case where it was just mandated. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Hey, you will. Be. I mean, we still have mandatory house parties, but like, who really has a problem with a house party? Right. Like, hey, free food and beer and yeah, like a good time Twist with my your arm. friends yeah. who you live with and see every day. Like, this isn't that big of a deal. But other than that, like, there's really not like mandated fraternal stuff. But every, um, literally everybody in the house, as far as I know, participates in a fraternal group where we just kind of get together and share and support each other so throughout good. the semester. Yep. Um, we have all kinds of seminarian-led events and meetings and stuff that build fraternity and, um, you know, sort of the vulnerability of that brotherly bond. And that's all spontaneous and just like from the Holy Spirit. So, um, I mean, I've got my friends from seminary who are now priests that I spend time with, um, and, and some other priest friends, uh, of course my family and some, you know, old friends from before seminary, but really like 80% of the people who I would want to hang out with in terms of quantity presently live in the same building as me. No. So that's really awesome. It's also going to make May a little hard, but yeah, but those are those I mean, are bonds at least yeah. some of which yeah. will be carried forward yeah. and, and it's not like people are dying or something. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, you know. Yeah. But and yeah. you you talk about maybe some of the fears or the difficult things about being a priest and it can be easy to 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 get isolated or mm-hmm. feel isolated oh, yeah. and it's so important for our priests to have yep. some sen- some community some fraternity that they can kind of fall back mm-hmm. on and rally around each other and, yeah. and whether it's the same exact people that are part of your your clique moving forward right. you're at least in the practice of, yeah. of knowing how yeah. important that is and, and and prioritizing that and building that yeah i think um there was a period in the not too distant past where either because of sad circumstances there were fewer priests or just because we had fewer vocations um, a lot of priests went into ministry or their ministry became very lonely you know not like on purpose but just there's one guy who's going to go be at this parish and right. that's all we that's all right. we can do right now You're sorry you know so yeah. um and it was there was definitely a time when it was like okay here you go 
go off and go live alone yeah. at your rectory and um and of course it's good to have lay people from your parish or from your family or from a previous parish or friends or whatever that you can talk to and spend time with but the reality is the only person the only other person who appreciates what you're going through on a given day is our lord and a brother priest hmm. that's it yeah you know and, a, and bishops you know too but yeah um only another priest understands the, the life of a priest of yeah so living, yeah. um yeah so it's i think it's absolutely like like if a guy told me uh oh i don't yeah you know, i don't you know i just kind of want to do my own thing and i'm just going to hang out in my room by myself and i'm going to ask my bishop to send me to a parish far away from every other priest i'd probably be like hmm maybe we need to have a little chat yeah you know <laughs> level your expectations here a little yeah. bit yeah so no it's it's super important so i'm happy to have a head start on it yeah in the seminary and that the seminary is focusing on it and and also just to help make it happen at the seminary For sure in my archdiaconal office that's right Tell us, uh, tell us about your upbringing, and just kind of how you were led to the priesthood, or how you yeah, ended I, up where you're at. I used to think it wasn't that like common. Like I thought I had this like I feel like every seminarian like when they come in they're like I have the most profound vocation story. Let me tell you about it. <laughs> and then and then once you've heard you know like a decade's worth of vocation stories, you're like. <laughs> Like, look, buddy, there's like three categories. You're in number two, you know, but. Um, yeah, yeah, there's like this, the steady process. There's like the big divine two by four. Right, yeah, Everyone's yeah. Everyone's a little different. Yeah. I will tell you as a lay person, though, even though you can, even if you hear a lot of them, you always pick up on something from somebody that's yeah. like. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah, man, no, like, I don't want to downplay. The Lord is real and yeah. is working, yeah. but there is that whole right. vocation. Like, every, yep, every, everybody's got one. Every encounter with the Lord is different because yeah. every person is different, and every encounter with the Lord is beautiful because yeah. it's an encounter with the Lord. But um, I definitely had one of the, like, normal public school kid, you know, sort of like, encounters Jesus divine two by four let's be a priest you know so huh. um I grew up I mean, I mean we were ca- we're a Catholic family um there was never any like waffling on that yeah um, where'd you grow up I uh well we, when I was little we lived in um where was I born Rochester okay and um when I was two we moved to Iowa uh, my dad worked for a seed company um and we lived in Mason City and then Des Moines for a little bit and then and then eventually moved to Carver, Minnesota. So um, down, well, it would be upstream from um, Chaska on the Minnesota River. Okay. Oh, southwest um, Twin Cities. So right, kind of right on the edge of the, yeah. like. Way southwest. Yeah, way, yeah, like the next, we were, there's like no more towns, you know, sure. that you would call a suburb. So, um we went to mass most weekends. I think the only time I can ever recall, like, we were like, we're not going to mass this Sunday. It was like when we were on vacation. Hmm. I don't really, I'm sure, like, if my parents listen to this, they'll be like, no, we went to mass on vacation. I'm like, I'm sure we did, but, like, it didn't doesn't stand out to me that it was like a, so it was just, you know, and, but we did the sacraments of initiation and all this stuff, but 
very much like growing up in a regular sort of like conservative-ish family in the southwest metro went to mass most of the time did churchy stuff but not like center of our life you know um so funny enough when i was confirmed i think it was i don't know who was archbishop at the time it was like right between archbishop flynn and archbishop ninestead but whoever it was decided that year we were going to receive catechisms the second edition of john paul ii's catechism had just been published the edit you know edited version and um so they handed them out and i was like oh this is great this is like all the rules and (laughs) and like i can just carry this around and then when people want to be like kyle you catholics believe this i can be like no we don't we believe this you know just throw the so i had this weird like but it was adversarial and it was kind of like crotchety like (laughs) like way way too early to be crotchety like in high school but i wasn't really living it i just like knew that these things were what we believed um and uh so then when i went to college i just did like the regular college thing you know like what you watch like on tv you know i was in a fraternity and just leave it at that so so um realized at a certain point that that's an empty like an empty lifestyle like um you get a lot of like little hits of of pleasure or whatever but it's not a sustained or profound or deep thing and i remember one night in particular like physically feeling like that emptiness uh just like lying on my bed like wow this life kind of like there's really nothing to it i mean it's a tired analogy but like the cotton candy diet is just not great you know um and that was a saturday night so i went to sunday mass which i was still doing um and uh there was just lots of stuff that was kind of funnily like the lord kept me at mass even though like i really had no idea what was going on and um didn't appreciate like the gravity of how my life didn't jive with what i said i believed or you know professed at mass so anyway i was at sunday mass and uh that was the weekend that they were starting the small groups for that semester and i was like well i need better friends i guess i'll give this a try see what they know uh and by the end of that semester i was running the community life at the Newman Center at Iowa State. So, um, I, yeah, well, I was on the committee anyway. And so, yeah, I, I, like, I was like, wow, there's answers here and depth and people who just want to be friends with me because no reason, at, you know, other than just, like, they're good and they recognize something good in me. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> yeah. It was uh, it was like a mega nosedive, and uh, just start, really fell in love with the church and um, and the encounter that she facilitates with the Lord and uh, and so I started when I was home on vacation meeting with my pastor Father Rolf Tollefson out at St Hubert and um, he kind of was doing like pseudo spiritual direction slash catechesis 
and um, I was really on fire for like young adult ministry and youth ministry and just like wanting to evangelize and he picked up on that and I'm pretty sure from the very beginning he was like angling you know <laughs> um, that there was an Easter where I it was when I returned to the sacrament of confession and uh, I was so afraid I put a suit on it was like a random like Thursday night or something but I was I like showed up early stayed at the back of the line it was like a two-hour confession window because it was like during Lent yeah like a special yeah yeah and so like suited up for it I suited up because I was like well if I'm gonna like be nervous I might as well not be nervous because I look bad you know like <laughs> like I like I in like a nice suit like like tan suit you know nice yeah. like pastel tie very how long had it been since you've been to confession you know I think that was my second confession ever there's kind of a beauty in like how seriously you took like oh we should all kind of take it yeah that seriously, well and the right? thing it's very it's very it's a fitting story for anybody who knows me because it's like also ridiculous <laughs> like it is as a beauty. I mean, like if I was Father Tollefson in that situation, I'd be like, "Well, this is awesome." Yeah. But it's also just sort of hilarious. Like <laughs> this is the sort of thing that you can only like appreciate in the you know like living in the in the church. Like, yeah. This is a great profound moment, and yet we can also have this like human silly thing on top yeah. of it, which is you're so afraid of yeah. just like saying. Jesus, I'm sorry for these things that I've done that you like put on all your best clothes on. Right. Um, but yeah, he, he was like, yeah, so, uh, you know, reintroduce yourself to me after, you know, after I'm done, I'm like, well, father, actually I'm the last one in line because I've been sitting out there, you know? And so I went out and formal, formally met him in the, in the narthex of the church. And he was like, what are you in? Like, we need to talk about, the stuff that you're into because this is all awesome stuff because I like had all these ideas about young men's ministry and all this stuff and um, yeah so I think he picked up on it pretty quick <laughs> and then on uh, November 27th 2013 uh, we were coming back from coffee which was just across the street from the parish and I was dropping him off at the rectory and um, I think it was yeah, it must have been Thanksgiving break and he's like, Kyle, have you ever thought about being a priest? It was just like that. It was like totally off the cuff, like two dudes in, in the truck, like looking out the windshield, being very, you know, male. Yeah. And like it wasn't like a vulnerable moment or anything. It was just like, hey, have you ever <laughs> thought about being a priest? Fact, yeah. yeah. And I was like, no, but I'm flattered you'd think I'd be yeah. a good priest. Yeah. Uh and, you know, I had, like, a girlfriend who I was, like, thinking about getting engaged to. And that was, like, actually part of, like, some of the stuff we talked about. Sure. And, and um, so I dropped him off. And he's like, oh, yeah, no worries. You know, just, just thought I'd ask, you know. And I dropped <laughs> him off. I dropped him off <laughs> at the rectory. And I was driving. I guess it it's not surprising. I was driving around the apse of the church. Uh, was Saint, at St. Hubert, it's kind of like a diamond shape and the tabernacle's kind of right by the driveway that goes around the church. And I was literally passing the tabernacle corner of the church building. On the outside. Uh, yeah, like yeah. in the car, like driving, yeah. like to leave the parking lot and drive home. And I was just like, oh. And I like pulled into a parking spot and it was 
now I know that it was the first time I ever experienced like physically the Holy Spirit like manifesting wow. himself. But it was just like peace, joy, warm fuzzies, you know, like the whole I don't know how you ever explain in, yeah, in the English to, language that experience. But, but, but you know it when it's just like profound sense of um of peace and and um being loved and and I was like, oh, yeah, and I—that's not what I said. Like I, I had other words for the Lord in that moment <laughs> that weren't exactly uh, happy words. Yeah, but um, it was just like okay. So I got home like 20 minutes later, and I was like, Father, I think I'm called to be a priest. <laughs> and uh, it still took me two months to break up with my girlfriend, but sure. but um, you kind of knew in that. So that's moment. like almost nine years ago. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, and then it, and then from there it was just like this crazy wild ride to get to here, and it, none of it went in a straight line, and it wasn't at all according to my plan. But it's exactly how it should happen. So yeah, yeah, got to live in a rectory for a couple of years with some super holy priests. Um, got to do pre theology instead of college seminary, which was a fantastic experience living with Father Carl over at St. Mark's, uh, where the Propa dudes live now, and. Sure. Got a Catholic studies degree, which I wasn't part of the original plan, hmm. um, which is a be- like a beautiful program that totally changed how I look at the world. You did so, that through the University of yeah. St. Thomas, uh, yeah. with which the seminary is affiliated, <coughs> yes, obviously. Right. Yeah, so. so it was all like working, like angling toward, but, you know, and Father Taphorn will appreciate this example. It's kind of like how the sailboat has to tack, you know, zigzag across the water to get, like, to go against the wind or whatever. I wanted to just like, I'm here, let's go, let's do it. But it was just all these. Yeah. But they were all exactly what I needed, so. Were you still at Iowa State when that, yeah. that day you? Yeah, so I was home for Thanksgiving called. break. And, oh, okay, uh, yeah, that's right, you said that. And okay. I went back and I told my girlfriend like right away, and she was a good sport. She's like, well, well, you know, you just think about it and, you know, we can, you know, talk about it. And I was like. This ain't working. This ain't gonna go well. <laughs> <laughs> these are these are two diverging yeah. paths. Yeah, and um, yeah, she. It was it was it was bittersweet, but yeah, I mean those know. are those that could be a painful yeah. moment in a, a so, but it was, story, but also beautiful and fruitful yeah. down the road yeah. for for both people involved. Yeah, right? so. yeah. So it was. Um, I did that was my senior year at Iowa State, so I finished that year. And then I transferred. Um, I I, ha- I didn't receive a degree from Iowa State, so I transferred here to St. Thomas. And then uh, that's uh, so I took the fall of fourteen. I had classes the summer of fourteen, but I I took fall of fourteen off. Started in the spring of fifteen in Catholic studies. Okay. And um, I was living at the rectory at St. Charles Borromeo with. Father Bloom, the vocations director, and the former vocations director, who's the pastor there, Father Troy Prisbilla, and uh, um, Father Mark Dosh, who's now passed, and um, all very, very good priests. Father Dosh, um, probably the holiest man I've, like, ever met, you know, so super, super good examples, and like I said, totally not according to plan, but I got to live with them for two years, and just received their support and kind of gentle guiding and mentoring without 
um, having like the formal hmm. stuff. So yeah. yeah, it was really, really good. You've had a handful of mentors along the way. That's, yeah. that's a blessing for sure. So you're still a Cyclones mm-hmm. fan then? Yes. I mean, gone yeah. yeah. I mean, I got my degree from St. Thomas, so I'm like an obligatory Tommy. Um, yeah. I mean, my that's the literally diploma, on that's, paper. You're yeah. A Tommy. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, my that, that's the diploma that's hanging on my wall. Yeah. Um, and I love, you know, love the Catholic Studies Department and all the support that they gave me, just like in my vocation, and also just the for, like intellectual formation I received from them. But, but I'm a I'm a cyclone. Yeah. Like both my siblings followed me there. All right. Yeah. So yeah. we're like we're like an actual cyclone family now. Nice. And um, I I do I I it took a little bit of time to kind of heal the memories of school, you know, like leaving and all the sure. sort of yeah. rupture that like a major encounter with the Lord like necessitates right. a sort of like major yeah. change in your life all, almost all the time. But um, but yeah, I love yeah cyclones are cyclones. awesome. Don't cyclones. don't mention that other team from oh, I will because I'm from Nebraska yeah. so yeah we've, we we've have, talked we about this this common, is agreed common yeah. disdain yeah uh, which is yeah. great so uh did you you have to remind me the details but you you either worked on a political campaign or you were kind of involved yeah. in some political circles tell me about that and yeah I mean I was in Iowa for four years of college and the political machine basically never turns off in Iowa right. with the whole first in the nation thing. Yeah. So, um, and I was active in politics in high school too. Okay. I, uh, I doubt it's still op- Well, maybe, I don't know. I haven't checked, but I am the founder of the young Republicans club at Chaska high school. Um, founded that in 2007. Okay. Like a sophomore maybe. Okay. Um, but then that, yeah. So I, I was active in politics before I could vote, and then I uh, went on to Iowa State and immediately got involved in the college Republicans. Maybe I shouldn't have said Republicans. Too late now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I worked on uh, worked on Mitt Romney's campaign, um, lots of local campaigns. Um, the biggest thing that I learned sort of about politics in general, though, is that uh, there's a lot of easy ways for politics to become dogmatic for people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're, um, yep. We might have talked about this before, but, like, I had – there was a, there was an evening where I w- – I, actually, my, my girlfriend, uh, who I eventually left to come to the seminary, um, her dad was a state senator for our, uh, the state of Iowa. I don't think he's still in office, so – People should not be like Googling present state senators of Iowa to yep. like figure out who Deacon Kyle dated. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, we were just sitting in this in this um, this bar, and he was sort of explaining like what it's like, like just among the politicians, even like in Iowa. Yeah. Like, I, and I love the state of Iowa, but like, well, let's be real. Like, Des Moines isn't Washington. Yeah. But uh, the stuff he was telling me just about, like, just the way politics is and the way that, like, people in politics um, get sort of twisted around 
it just was sort of like disgusting. Hmm. Like not, I'm not making a moral judgment on any of the people, but just like if that's the way that like a life in politics can like turn a person the wrong way around, it doesn't matter what side they were on. I mean, this was like in the bar, it was like the one where all the people go, you know, they're like, they're done at the Capitol building and they come down the hill and they go to this bar. And, um, and it was like Republicans and Democrats everywhere. You know, it's not like one, each party has their own bar or something. Like they all go <laughs> hang out together after. It's not like so, an Iowa State yeah, bar versus yeah, that other school. Right, yeah, bar. right. Exactly. They all so, go hang at the same place when yeah. the session gets so, out. Yeah. Um, it's not one side or the other. It's just, and that's when I put made the connection. Like these people have repl- replaced their value, like their moral system, you know, and, in Iowa that and that's mostly a Christian one um but whatever it may be like politics can totally supplant that like because there's people uh and an ideology and it yeah it can just totally take over so uh that really turned me off at a certain point um which was hard because I in a certain way it I think it kind of prepped me for life in the church if people who have a common direction you know even if it's not the best one but you know similar to the in the church we all are seeking beatitude with god yeah you know to glorify him and be with him forever um and you're doing it alongside other people it's always like politics is a communal thing just like the church is always a communal thing yeah there's no such thing as like a one-man church like Ecclesio literally means community. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm grateful for those experiences and those those people who kind of helped me, uh, just in like the natural way to um, learn, you know, about the good things of working together with people for a common goal. But politics was only a stepping stone. Yeah, right. And you, I think you're right when you say it can supplant the the higher goods in life and you know everything catholic teaching we we want everything to be in harmony so you can't neglect public life it's our job to do what we can we're really lucky not to get all patriotic or anything but we're like we're lucky to live in a country where we get we get to vote and we have the rights we do and all those sorts of things so we have a civic duty yeah but i think we have to be honest with with ourselves as catholics too i think it it, it, there is that temptation to almost oh yeah uh put put politics on too high of a pedestal maybe yeah and and Uh, especially just in the current climate I i think you know the the liberty of the united states can be like a double-edged thing right like we have the freedom thanks be to god to be active in public life without having to fight for that right right but public life is also always open to us yeah and um it can public life in the sense of like working in politics um but like it can suck us in too and um, we have to keep it in its correct proportion which is you know for catholics to establish the kingdom of god uh, as best we can in this life, um, for the you know the sake of the common good for the, for human flourishing, you know. So if we're not doing that, and that's where we're devoting all of our energy, then something's out of balance. You know, if your family life or your 
relationship with God is suffering, then time to look twice, you know? Yeah. I had a good conversation right here on a, a past episode that I can link to in the show notes with Jason Adkins, who's the yeah. director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference. And yeah. we talked a lot about that, about like the battle between good and evil not being something that's out there and external and other, right. but it starts in the human heart. Right. And we, we start there and everything else yep. is kind of downstream from yep. that. Um, so it's good to see the church leading in that way and training future yes. priests to lead in that way too because this yeah. political climate we're in isn't isn't going anywhere and that's the, the no. context that you're going to be yeah right yeah in. i mean that's that's the thing that i i think I, w- I wish more people would realize like neither of these whichever direction you're you know whichever train you're on so to speak yeah. like both of them don't seem to be heading tw- like their logical conclusion is not god you know yeah. like would you know just i'm not i'm not gonna lay out specifics but you know like each each one goes off course at some yeah. point and yep. in different ways on and different if you issues. Yep. if you put you know if you're like i'm in i'm on this train wholesale period um and i'm going wherever it goes because by golly i'm a republican or by golly i'm a democrat we, you gotta be we get we have to be more aware, uh, you know, uh, I mean, discernment of the movement of the spirit. I mean, like we have to be ready to be like, Oh, mm, I don't know about that one. Yeah. And be like, this is what the church teaches, or this is what scripture says, or this is what my bishop has, you know, taught on. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with that because I know that that's protected by the Holy Spirit. So, yeah. So good. Anyway, you're, uh, I think you're known as. It's I like think you are. Sp- we're changing subjects. We're getting off yeah. the political. That's a good, yeah, because that's a soapbox that I can do. just like hop on. We all could, right? So, um, you're known as a pretty down to earth, relatable guy. Uh, you've used this <laughs> in a variety of ways during your time in seminary, which which I think is really cool. Um, you've had opportunities to uh, fulfill that desire to reach out to young adults that you were talking about with Father Tollison and others. Tell me mm-hmm. about. Uh, beads and beers and some of the stuff you've been doing at St. Mary's in Lower Town, St. Yes. Paul, and then Koryesu here yes. at the seminary as well. Well, yeah, these are good. It's it's dangerous to call a down to earth guy down to earth to his face because it can ruin the down to earthness. Like, you know, let it go to my head. You're going far too deep. I'm not. For me now. <laughs> I don't. No, lost it me, won't go to my head. Hard, I have a mustache on my face right now, so yeah. nothing can go to my head too much. Well, I think I do think, like, not to get too far off on a tangent, but <laughs> I do think there is a stigma about seminarians sometimes of like they're very pious, they fit yeah. a certain mold and cookie cutter, yeah. and I think a lot of people even. Catholics are surprised when they actually hang out with you guys and meet you, and it's not just a deacon, Kyle. Like, yeah. just how normal. Yeah, and relatable. I mean, you guys are, and, and everyone's I mean, like, different, you know. W- yeah, everyone's different. Different, different is like the Minnesota way of saying like. I mean, there's like we're weird too. I mean, like not in like any bad way, but like, like we we read stuff for fun that like normal people. Yeah, that would is like weird. be put to sleep by you know. That's weird. So there's stuff like that. That's like it's like low key weird, not not threatening weird. Yeah. You know, but. um yeah, most seminarians are pretty normal. We don't really do weird, you know, which Father Taphorn's favorite yeah. saying. But um yeah. uh yeah, I don't think 
I, it was recently pointed out to me that there's, there's kind of been this like weird break in, in the church's view of, I don't know, clergy or something where it's like, if, if you're pious or, or you know, whatever that, you know, people have like these weird definitions for pious, which is yeah. like ac- piety is actually Piety's a virtue. Actually a really good thing. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but like it's, it's a word we use to describe like sort of like pompous or stuffy or yeah. like holier than thou. Yeah, holier than thou would probably and, be a better and so, right, so like you're either that or you're pastoral, which hmm. has been like used to describe like you're just nice. Yeah. Which is also not what pastoral is. Pastoral is like I'm willing to go, like walk with you toward the Lord, whatever yeah. that means. Yeah. That might mean – lifting you up when you're down on yourself, it might mean correcting you right. because you're doing something dumb. Yeah. You know, so um, I actually think that the seminary, like I know seminarians, um, know a lot of them. I think most seminarians today are trying to heal that rupture a little bit and bring the pastoral and the pious Kind well, it's a false dichotomy, together. right? Yeah, right, right. If you pull those like, together, I guess like they're trying the to makings of a really great priest. They're that's, trying to uncover the like the, the real thing, which both of these things are not. But they're trying yeah. to uncover the like, ha ha! Look, actually, the church has taught that this should be the way the whole time. Yeah. So you can't you can't be cold and unfeeling because that's being a crappy pastor. Yeah. But you also can't just like throw out the teaching of the church right. or or good liturgy right. or or beauty you know like we need those things too so um it's not it's not a war it's the, the both of those things are needed and i think that's really um i think there's a lot of down-to-earth seminarians yeah i mean if i'm down to earth man <laughs> there's a lot better guys over there than i am <laughs> you know so sure yeah there so i took us down a tangent there but that's okay your young adult work. Yes, young adult beers, work. Yeah, Corey beads Yezu. and beers, Corriezu, um, St. Mary's. Yeah, so um, beads and beers uh, started out just like, I guess it was last year we started doing some of these, and it was just kind of a walking rosary. It wasn't called beads and beers until this summer. It was just like a walking rosary in Lower Town, which is a really clunky title. And um, it usually resulted in stopping at Barrel Theory um, at 7th and Wakota in Lower Town, St. Paul, um, for a beer afterwards. But that wasn't like a necessarily always a part of it. But it sort of, this group just sort of coalesced. And it's never, I don't think it's ever been exactly the same crew, but there's like regulars. Yeah. And they regularly bring others. Um, some of them, you know, regular, you know, devout young adult Catholic types, sometimes atheists, you know, or whatever, whoever their friends are. Um, one of our regulars, um, who I won't name cause he would be upset with me if I did, but, um, he's, he's, uh, he's in RCAA, but when he started coming to Bees and Beers, he, it, was like a hardcore protestant like wow like very very smart and like deep uh in the in like protestant theology and studying the fathers which is always sort of a 
can become a hairy situation for a Protestant because those church fathers, they can be dangerous. Right. Um, but it was like the first time I've ever seen a Protestant like pray the rosary. But it's just because he'd met young adult Catholics who were serious about Christ and he didn't have any questions about that. And he's like, well, if, if it seems good to them and it's scriptural, Hail Marys are 90% scripture, right? Seems good to me. Yeah. Now he's in RCA. Beautiful. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think, like, the beads and beers thing really is, is just kind of the how do you – how do you, re- like, save the, the third space? You know, we used to have, like, the parish was, like, the place where the community gathered. You had your home – and you had, you know, like whatever kind of the, like the VFW or something, you know, and then you had the the parish. And like they were all like a where the community came together to love on each other and, you know, keep involved in each other's lives. And we the parish sort of like lost that position or the VFW, you know, for, like like these old like, you know, places intended for gathering. Yeah. But I think in at least in the Twin Cities the brewery has really like become that spot. Oh yeah. Like people gather, they're not looking at their they're not you're not you don't go to a brewery and see people sitting in the corner scrolling on their phone. Or if you do, it's like oh that's a weird guy who's yeah. over here by himself at the brewery yeah. looking at his phone. Some like people are there to socialize and yeah. be with their friends. You're right. And so that's the place we have to be. Yeah. It's just a fact. It might not be the brewery, maybe it's a bowling alley or if those still exist or, you know, or, oh, yeah. or whatever, yeah. you know, so, but we have to be willing to go into those places. Um, uh, but you also have to be ready to receive the people who you meet in those places, which is kind of the idea of Koryezu, um, where the seminary, you know, opens itself up to um, facilitate an encounter with the Lord uh, for young adults in the Twin Cities. So, um that's like the other part of my heart, right? Like I love going, I mean, I like drinking beer with cool people, but like the best part about beads and beers. In my innermost being. Right. I, I want mean, to be at a brewery. Well, some, yeah, some of the time I that's just the truth. I can relate to that. Yeah, but, but you're talking you know, about you, meeting people where they're at. Yeah, you go out. Going out to them. Yeah, but Which is what if, Christ did, right? Right. From town to town. Right. People where they're at. But um, if all you ever do is go out and meet people where they're at, like, Great. Now what? Yeah. Hey, have you met Jesus? Right. You know, like right, the come follow me. Yeah. Right. To, yeah. So. At some point. Um. And I think events like Coryezu are like the perfect complement to events like beads and beers, where it's like, I'm, I, you know, we're we're at this like low intensity place. We're having a beer, hopefully a good one together. Um. We might not even be talking about super serious stuff. Might just be like, yeah, this is Deacon Kyle. We're having a beer together. We're talking about F1 racing because Deacon Kyle weirdly likes F1 racing. But then at the end of the night, I'm like, hey, next Friday we're having this super cool thing. There'll be some good music, and Jesus will be there. And uh, if you feel like, you know, praying with some people or if you're Catholic, going to confession, you can do that too. Yeah. But not high pressure. 
that's what Coryezu is. We've just been doing it for 15 years. But other than that, it's not yeah. like a super instituted or like yeah. high pressure thing of any kind. So not hounding out pamphlets. Yeah, we're not trying to. There's there's no offertory. We're not trying. You know, we're not passing the basket around. We're like you don't have to even stay for the whole thing. Yeah, you it's know, an open invitation. It's great to invite people time. to mass, but the mass is like a ritual that um, is very intimate and beautiful, but can be very intimidating. Yeah. You know, and in its in, in its beauty, it can be. I mean, it's hard to say that there's anything more able to convert a heart than like a a mass reverently celebrated. Um, but we're not limited. And um, these kind of low, imp- like low intensity, like high openness, big invitation type things, I think are kind of really a part of how we can really work like in evangelizing in this age. Great segue. We talk a lot in the church right now, I think in formation circles especially, priestly formation circles, about this idea of a new apostolic age. So we get our Catholic buzzwords, right? We talk about the new evangelization. I think one of the newer ones is the new apostolic age, kind of a a response and recognition of just sort of the current societal climate that we're we're operating in as— Yes, yeah. Catholics. What is the new apostolic age, and what implications is it going to have for a guy like you, yeah. who's going to be a priest six, six months, months from and now. twenty-four days? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think I think that the yeah this like new apostolic age I think is really just like the context that's been behind the new evangelization ever since it was coined, however many decades ago. You know, because yeah. we've, we've been hearing about the new evangelization for a long time, but. Yeah, I think since at least the 80s. Yeah. I associate it with JP2. Yeah. I yeah. could have my history wrong, I think that's. I think that's the case. Yeah. That's, yeah. Right. But I think there was a lot of, there's even maybe some frustration sometimes about, like, what is the new evangelization? Like, what does it look like? What's its end? Yep. Uh, and, and, like, how do we do it? And there's lots of people who have tried to answer that. I think, for me, the most important piece, though, is understanding, like, why is there a new evangelization? Well, because we're in a new situation that we haven't experienced in the church before. The first evangelization, i.e., like, you know, Peter, Paul, James, John, you know, um, they were going out to people other than, like, like, a few thousand, maybe tens of thousands of people who might have heard of the name of Jesus when he was alive in... Palestine in the first, you know, early part of the first century. Um, other than those people in a very small part of the world, very small population, nobody had ever heard of Christianity because it was only like two years old. And if they had heard of Judaism, this was like a thing that was like, yeah, we're kind of loosely based on that, but we're, we're also not. Yeah. Um, now we're in a situation where at least in the West, everybody's heard of Christianity. Everybody has an idea of what, at least what they think it is, and we're trying to reconvince them. And I think that's what the new evangelization is is responding to, and now I think this kind of articulation of this new apostolic age is the, like, this is what's behind it, and this is why we need to do this. 
which in turn gives the new new evangelization a direction and a, a focus, which I, I think, at least for me, when that when that idea of a new apostolic age was articulated, that's that's really what like helped get me fired up because it's like mm-hmm. okay, yeah, like I'm supposed to go out and evangelize, woohoo, but why, how, for what reason um, do we need to do this? And so, yeah, I think. Um, Lots of smart people. Bishop Barron's probably got some really awesome videos about about this, but um, uh, I just having a whole culture that has a preconception about what you have to say, which is firmly held by many of them, either positively or negatively, and you're called to go tell them about Jesus, teach them from the a basis of you know the fullness of the truth without forgetting to love them like for the sake of their their own dignity you know like without forgetting that that's a, this is like a steep steep climb that the church hasn't faced before so and that gets you fired up that doesn't in- <laughs> intimidate you i guess both could be true i mean i look but. we had this talk from bishop vetter i don't remember was that last month when he was here October. It was earlier this it fall was Oktoberfest. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like the first week of October. And he was saying, you know, don't love the church of the past and don't love the church of tomorrow. You have to love the church that you wake up in. Hmm. Uh, or he probably said it more profoundly than that. But um, yeah, I've really, in now. Yeah. I've really come to appreciate the church that I'm <coughs> being formed to minister in because I don't think the gifts that I have and their combination with the flaws that I have would have been as effective in any other time. And that's not like to say I'm like the Superman. It's just the way that I am and the way that I've been formed and the tools that are at the hands of the seminary for forming me are well suited for the time that we're in. And if, if you took Deacon Archdeacon Kyle out of 2022 and plopped me in 1952 They'd either have me in a rubber room or, you know, like thrown out by like tomorrow, you know. Um, And similarly, like 70 years from now, they're going to need somebody a lot better than me, you know, for that time. So I'm just really grateful for God's providence and like that I feel free enough to say like, yeah, I'm excited about evangelizing in the time and place that I'm in. I've never really said that out loud before. <laughs> and it's being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's inspiring. Yeah, I hope Father Taborn listens. That should make him feel good. Yeah, um, I think so. But well, I can I can say as a layperson, like it's really <laughs> it's it's really good for us to hear that because we as as the laity are trying to play our our yeah. part in all of yeah. that too. And between those who are do, are ordained and those who aren't, like we all have to work together right. to bring that about. Right. Yeah, but you. Six months, twenty-four days from now, like you, you are in persona yeah. Christi. So, like, yeah. no pressure, but we we are well, looking up to right. you. Is well, that and this is in a like, sense? This is the thing that, that should get us excited too. Well, I hope. Yeah, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm getting better at receiving affirmation. So I'm just yeah. gonna say thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're, you're definitely a Midwesterner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, are, yeah. There's like local vices. You know, one of those. Um, no, I'm yeah, I, and I I think this 
this Christendom to apostolic mode thing that I think Monsignor Shea was on a yeah. previous episode. Yeah. So he's already talked about that. But um, that reality, the new evangelization, which has been building for 30-plus years, yep. and um, especially uh, Gaudium et Spes of the Second Vatican Council, the Church in the Modern World, they've all been – it's like these little, like over the course of the past 60 years, there's been these little things kind of bubbling up. And now I think we're starting to be able to put some of it together, which is, you know, Gaudium et Spes says it's, it's the role of the whole church to be evangelizing. That includes the laity. We all do it in accord with our state and life. Yeah. We, and then you get JP2, he says, we, we need this new evangelization, which is really banging on that Gaudium et Spes drum. Like, hey, people, get out there. Um, and then to have now uh clergy being formed that are excited at least in my case and geared up for helping like facilitating the work of the laity like that's that's just another way to put like we we're priests are not ordained in a certain sense to be like frontline evangelizers your job's to equip us. Right. I mean, we're also, like, you know, supposed to, like, we're not, like, leading from the back, right? Like, we're also supposed to be, like, up there with you, like, leading the charge because whatever. Yeah, but, part you of know, equipping like, is but, modeling. But part but, of the analogy. But it's you know, not this vacuum. Right. So, so um, and so to be, um, yeah, to be formed with, like, with that emphasis of, like, we're going to meet people who have – all these ideas and and most of them are a rejection of what we hold to be true and we can't we're we, we're not just receive you know passive receivers sitting in our parish waiting for people to come to us for the sacraments but all of us parishioners and pastor are out there trying to show people what's in there you know hmm. show i mean that's I feel like that's that's what all of these things have sort of connected over the course of recent pa- recent history, and I just yeah I love that I'm a part of that because that's it's a challenge that we haven't faced before and that's it's scary but it's exciting, yeah. kind of like how getting ordained is really scary and yeah. exciting. So, um, I don't think I would have been a very good desert father, but I hope I'll be a pretty good new apostolic age priest. So you know, my time and place. Heck yeah. All right, let, we'll Hoorah. get you out of here soon. Let's do a couple of rapid fires. So yes. see if you can answer these in like 15 seconds or less. That's, as we can see by the time, that is not easy for me. We'll see what we can do. Favorite saint. <laughs> and you can um, pick a couple. Okay, great. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to leave out the blessed mother because that's cop out. So yeah. I'll say um, St. Philip Neri. Uh, St. John Henry Newman has been like kind of my, my main dude recently. I also have great love for Blessed Carl of Austria and his wife, Servant of God, Zita. Awesome. Favorite food? Mm, Some kind of cabbage and um, either schnitzel or wursts. Sausages. Are you 100% German? No, I just really like German food. All right. Mustard, too. What's Etzel? German. German? Yeah. Favorite show at the mm. moment? Oh, or that's even, rough. Even, I mean, you, you 
partake. Yes, yes, I partake. At the moment is is the caveat here because we've all kind of have recency I bias mean, with these things. Everybody's in extracted seminary and to say rings of power. Maybe not. I don't know. It's contentious. The new Lord of the Rings show. Like some yeah. people are like really have on you board. It? I've seen all of it. Yeah, yeah me so too. I guess it's not my show so right now. So no spoilers, now, but, but I mean, uh, I was a fan. I I really liked it too. Yeah, actually. Yeah. What my opinion. You gotta just like. Put yourself in Tolkien world and and then just take it right. as it comes. But well, we're covering like thousands of years that he barely wrote. Anything yeah, so yeah. There has to be some there's creative a, license. There's a lot of creative it. license, and I think they stick with his mythology. So I don't think I they're too. really like like the neo-Christian stuff is still there. Yeah, way more than I thought. Yeah, it'd they're be. not. Yeah. And I actually found some of it actually kind of inspiring. Well, uh, and it's, it's pretty cool. And it's like artistically done. It's not like a corny Christian TV show where oh, it's yeah. like you know. I mean, production quality. It's yeah, it's oh, yeah. close to. Yeah. But it's it's kind of like in there subtly and, and yeah and stuff, so. yeah. All right, that was way anyway. more than fifteen seconds. But yeah. what would you actually say if you thought Rings of Power was a cop out and you wanted to? Um, real. Well, huh? I watch. I don't know. I, it's we're in the middle of the twenty. Well, we're at the very end of the twenty twenty two F one season. So, um. I watch F1 racing, so that's kind of like it was Rings of Power. Every once in a while, like we'll we'll watch like Forged in Fire on Hulu, you know. But that's like a fraternal event on my floor, you know. We get together yeah. and watch some like middle-aged dudes sweat in a you know competition blacksmithing thing on the History Channel. But let's go. But yeah, mostly F1 F1 racing is kind of like my my yeah. go-to throughout the year. That's awesome. Favorite book? Hmm. Can I pick a couple? Yes. Okay. Every year I read um, Dracula. I read The Count of Monte Cristo. I like 19th century English. Although, well, anyway. Um, Brideshead. Brideshead Revisited by Evelyn Law. Yeah. That's an annual read, sometimes twice a year. Really love, really, really love Evelyn Law. Not just that one, but I read that one every year. And Lord of the Rings, the so, whole trilogy. Yeah. At awesome. least once a year. Those are my go-tos. Awesome. Favorite feast day or liturgical celebration or season? This one, actually. I love All Saints. Yeah. All Saints, All Souls. Yeah, this November whole 3rd, like, so we just did, had the All, all yeah. Saints, All Souls back-to-back. Yeah. That's, I think that's kind of underrated, actually. Well, and for me, it's it, like it's not a thing that we celebrate. It. Like, it's like a kind of a – it's sad, but it's kind of like a deep jam Catholic thing these days, right? Like we don't have it in common with the Protestants. Sure. So like other Christians in America, like they don't celebrate all saints and all souls because they don't have devotion to the saints or, yeah. or pray for people in purgatory. So um, when I rediscovered the faith, that was like a big – and it's so cool. Like we get like this awesome feast to celebrate all the saints, and then the next day we get to have like have the beautiful black vestments. We sing all these cool like kind of edgy chants, and then we go pray for people at the cemetery. Yeah. So. Well, I think of the pain for anybody who's lost someone close to them too. Yeah. We have a special day. To literally pray for to everybody pray that's for still them. in purgatory. It could yeah. be someone you lost 10 years ago. It may, yeah. be, it may be hard for some people. Right. If anyone listening, like it brings up some of that pain, but also like yeah. to know that the church militant here is is all united in one day 
I praying for that person that I'm close there's to. There's lots that of that blows my mind the, every yeah, year. There's lots of priests that love like All Souls is one of their favorite days because on All Souls you get to celebrate I think it might even be for the whole octave of All Saints. You get to celebrate masses, uh extra masses, like more than you'd normally be allowed to celebrate in a day. I didn't know that. For the sake of the souls in purgatory. Wow. Yeah. So like Wow. Right now in the world for like I think it's for the whole eight day period, priests are celebrating extra masses to get souls out of purgatory. Like so that they can pray for us from heaven, you know. Because that's how the church works. We pray for each other and love each other, whether you're dead or alive. (laughs) It's powerful stuff. Anyway. Last one, we'll get you out here. You can spend more than 15 seconds on this if you want, but what are you, you kind of touched on this, but um, just to close, what's been an awesome conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, What are you most looking forward to about becoming a priest? Hmm. Every seminarian will say either celebrating mass or hearing confessions, which isn't a lie. Um, because like, that's literally like what you're ordained to do is celebrate the sacraments, um, which are always grace, you know, giving, right? Like, um, but I think other than that, just like, yeah, I I guess I kind of like, there's like getting out there and doing it. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. I'm excited to be a spiritual dad. <laughs> like, I mean, like, spiritual father, you know, but, like, I'm definitely more of a dad. Like, I've got a mustache. You know? Right. But, um, yeah, like, to take care of people. Yeah. And, like, I've gotten I've gotten lots of nice little tastes of it throughout my formation, which I'm super grateful for. Um, and it's, like, more broad than, like, your average parish you know ministry because that's the point of seminary to get you exposed to lots of facets of priestly life but to be able to just like settle into a place with my you know some people who are my people you know at a parish and um walk with them and be like hey this is jesus he loves you you should love him too and all of the different ways that that manifests itself in people's lives that's the exciting part. Yeah. Which includes mass and confession. Yeah. Yeah. Those but are, also lots those of other are the stuff. Of it, but that's the underlying. Yeah. That spiritual fatherhood. So good. I feel like I could talk to you all day. Yeah. I'm sure our listeners probably Most people, feel that way too. But. Yeah. If you put me in behind a microphone, I probably, yeah, I can just talk all day. Yeah. Especially better, if you keep asking better me questions. Better you than me. Yeah. <laughs> I just tee you up and it's great. So, well, yeah. thank you for the time. You know, thanks for for your yes to the Lord and entire church. Uh, excited yeah. to see, see where you go from here. Oh yeah. That'll be great. God bless you. You too. Phil. Thank you as well for joining us on this edition of the joyful Catholic leaders show. Be sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts and follow the St. Paul seminary on social media. And it's stpaulseminary.org. New episodes will drop every month on the first Friday of the month in honor of Our Lady of Fatima and the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus. Thanks for listening, and God bless.